Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Have you ever gotten entangled in something? Have you experienced that sense of being stuck or caught or snared like in a trap? Today, Pastor Nicole is starting a brand new series called Entangled, and she's going to take a deep, hard look at how sin tempts us, gets its claws into us, and leaves us trapped. But it's not all bad news. We'll clearly see how God sets forth the steps we need to be free of our sin forever. This new series certainly applies to each and every one of our lives. So let's get started today. Here's week one of Entangled on Temptation. Hi, I'm Bert Straub, and I'm thankful for my second chance. So there was a time in my life when I was uh, really just a, a lot of issues, a lot of entanglement, a lot of, uh, a lot of sin. Um, I was uh, alcoholic, um, and uh, it, it cost me financially. It, it cost me uh, a marriage. It, it cost me relationships with uh, friends, family. Um, it, it really took me to a, a deep, dark place. I, I think the, the real turnaround in, in my life was uh, seeing uh, the uh, Eerie First on TV and there was a section when they said uh, come as you are and, and, they, and I was invited to the church from the television and I can remember being a total mess uh, on, a, on a Sunday morning and, and, and really just struggling and I thought what do I got to lose? Let's let's give it a shot. I sat in the back, and uh, I, I really felt that uh, the the sermon at that day was being told to me directly. And I'll never forget uh, Rick Shanker uh, of this church coming to me and and asking me, um, did I want to commit my life? And asking me, um, just being a real part of that uh, connection and, and feeling wanted. In, in inviting me to a small group, and uh, uh, that was a that was a great part of my turnaround. The biggest contrast was is I was um, I was a taker. Um, I, I just was always uh, what was in it for me. Being a volunteer and getting involved with the church rather than trying to take something from the church uh, really, really helped me. Whatever your struggle is, there's somebody inside this building that has probably struggled with the same thing and can walk you through that. And, and I, I think the, you know, maybe the biggest fear I had was reaching out and, and going to the first small group by myself, not knowing anybody. Um, but once I did that once, I was able to take another step and another step. And I know that there's groups inside this church that uh, everybody is, is welcome. Uh, October 12th of 1996 um, uh, was my, my last drink. It's when I, I felt uh, enough was enough. I'm Bert Strom, and I'm thankful for my second chance. You know, since the beginning of time, people have tried to define sin. 
They use word pictures. They use different words. In the Old Testament, to describe sin was chata, which meant to miss the goal or depart from God's purposes. Uh, Centuries later, people continued to try to define the phenomenon of sin, and they added to the definition list the transgression of a boundary, disobedience to a voice, falling where one should have stood upright. The main word used in the New Testament for sin is hamartia, meaning to miss the mark. So basically in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they view sin as failure, falling short. Sin is when things aren't how they ought to be. Sin is our failure to fulfill God's intentions for us. Sin causes all kinds of problems in the world and in our own lives, doesn't it? (laughs) Makes a mess of things that we thought we had figured out. Honestly, I think it can take much credit for the pain and grief we understand and experience in our lifetime. I so appreciate Bert's honest testimony a few moments ago about what sin stole from him. We all have a version of that story, don't we? Maybe it's not the same things that Bert talked about, but sin in our lives that we somehow get mixed up in that cost us something. It's ugly, it's tricky. Sometimes sin is blatant and easy to identify. It's like those habits or those behaviors that you hope nobody finds out about it. If you have something hidden like that, you should probably check to make sure you're not hiding it because you know very well that it is sinful. You might even go to a great deal of effort to hide it. And if you have sin like that in your life, and you, you probably know you need to eliminate it, like deep down in the most honest days and moments you have with yourself and with the Lord, you know it needs to go. In fact, God might even be talking to you about it, maybe even for a long time, and you know it's something you need to deal with. Now, let me reassure you, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Some of you are like, you looked at me right then. <laughs> I don't know, but God does. And here's my exhortation to you today. Here's what I really believe God wants me to tell you. It's time. It's time to deal with it. It's not going to maybe solve itself in one day, but today is the day to say to the Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to deal with it. Help me figure out how I can get unentangled from this sin in my life. Now, I think there's another type of sin that is potentially even more dangerous uh, than the sin I just talked about, because this type of sin is convenient. It's really commonplace. In fact, it's probably pretty accepted by the normal average Christian. These are things like pride, selfishness, worldliness, gluttony, those little white lies you tell just because, well, everyone does it. Like, we, we don't have to be totally honest. We can get what we need if we say this. Being judgmental, gossiping, or having a critical spirit. This is why these are so dangerous. is because they just go unrepented of for so long. Nobody calls you on them because it's kind of just normal. It's normal life. It's even maybe normal in your Christian circle. And they get so deep into our hearts that they make a home there. And we learn to live with them as very real realities, even as we're following Christ. As Christ followers, it is so imperative that we evaluate the sin in our hearts. We cannot ignore it. We cannot pretend it doesn't exist. And we can't run from it. The word entangle 
comes from a root word used to describe uh, actually a sheep whose wool was caught in thorns and thickets as it walked through the countryside. I named the series this because this was such an incredible picture for me when I started looking into the root word entangled. It, it described when a sheep got caught or snagged in the thicket that it could not go free. And the sheep would be trapped right in the same place for a long period of time. And that little sheep couldn't eat, couldn't drink, uh, couldn't get any nourishment, began to be hungry and weak and tired. That sheep was vulnerable to attacks from the enemy because it could not break away uh, from the thicket. That sheep was not free. There was no freedom as that sheep is stuck in the thicket, entangled and snagged. And this was just such a great image of what sin does to you, isn't it? It makes you tired and weak and vulnerable and stuck and hurting and very much vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. So as we deal with sin in our lives, uh, so the first part of my story, this isn't like, I'm not singing you happy tunes right here, okay? So you're like, all right, Pastor Nicole, lighten up a little bit. But let me tell you some good news. Sin is the bad news. Let me tell you some good news. There's something really important to keep in mind. It comes from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In the ancient Greek culture, the people believe that God did not have the ability to feel anything. That in his deity, he, he didn't have the ability to feel anything. And so this scripture is correcting this false idea about God. He's saying, listen, Jesus isn't like that. He isn't, he, he knows, he, he feels what we go through. Sympathize literally means to suffer along with. And so Jesus, in his humanity, along with his deity, he lived among us. He was 100% God and 100% man. And I thought, well, what does this mean for us? And, and it made me think of a time, have you ever um, been somewhere, maybe you're telling, trying to tell a friend about something that happened? This happens between me and my husband a lot. If there's more than two characters, he gets a little confused, you know? <laughs> He's like, wait, who? What? Who did that? Okay. <laughs> it's true. You know, and I have to go back and describe like, well, you know, it was raining. No, that door was closed. That's why he couldn't go out that door. No, the other girl. No, that's my other friend, Samantha. You know, and you have to kind of describe like the whole thing over and over. And you just get to a point where you realize the person isn't getting it and you give up in frustration and say, you just had to be there. <laughs> okay. Anybody do that? You just had to be there. I can't describe what was happening. You just had to be there. And isn't it true that when you are there, it makes all the difference? When you have gone through something tragic or terrible and you meet somebody that has gone through that same thing, you instantly have that connection. I can't describe to you how I feel, but you get it. You get it what it's like to go through a divorce, don't you? So did I. You get it what it's like to have a, a, a tragic diagnosis. You get it, right? You find that camaraderie with people. Well, this is what happens in Hebrews. Is basically it's saying, look, if you feel like you have to be there, Jesus was there. We can't say to Jesus, you had to be there. or You don't understand how I'm feeling. Jesus was there. He was there in every temptation. 
He was there in every weakness. He experienced it all so that he could say, I was there. I know how you feel. I can help you through this. I am not unaware of your pain or your sorrow or your temptation. Oh, isn't he a good God <laughs> that he would go through all of that so he could empathize with us in those moments? Now, one thing about Jesus that's different than me and you is that Jesus faced all those temptations we'll ever face, yet he endured triumphantly every form of testing without faltering in his obedience for a minute. Jesus never sinned despite facing all the temptations possible. Imagine gathering up amongst all of us, just in this room, of all the temptations we have faced in our life, and Jesus has faced every single temptation and never faltered from his obedience. So I want to look at today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about temptation as we tackle this sin issue that we all deal with. And so I have six quick things. The first is temptation is common to all mankind. Okay, what this means coming out of 1 Corinthians 10 is that, listen, we all face it. You do, I do, the person you think that is the most holy and put together, uh, that you always think that they're just living their life perfectly, they do. This is a problem we are all in together. I was thinking about how I'm giving you no excuses to skip this sermon series, okay? Because <laughs> it applies to all of us. Young, old, just loving Jesus, loving Jesus for a long time. This applies to all of us. In fact, as long as we live in this world and live in these bodies, we are going to face temptation to sin. In fact, even if it were possible to stay away from sin or sinful people or sinful places, we would still have a sin problem because sin infects the core of our being. It's lodging in us. It's at our personal control center. In Mark 7, Jesus is talking, and he's really clear where sin comes from. He says in verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's not something that's outward that affects you. It's what comes out of a person. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, Envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Temptation is something we cannot escape as a human. So if we have to deal with it, let's get in a position to beat it. Are you with me? Let's figure out how we're going to beat temptation if it's something that we absolutely have to face no matter what. Okay, number two, temptation is from the enemy. If there was ever a question, I just want to bring clarity to where temptation is born. In Matthew 4, we actually see the situation happening. Jesus and the enemy come face to face. And he's led into the desert. He's tempted by the devil. He had just fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. So he was hungry. Because remember, he was 100% man, 100% God. He was tired probably physically. He was weak. But spiritually, he was strong. And he was prepared for the test he was about to endure and the first thing the enemy does is appeal to his human side. He says, look, there's some stones. Why don't you make those into bread, soft and fluffy bread, <laughs> out of the oven from Panera? You know, he probably said, why don't you make that some bread and eat it? And the enemy always wants to try to persuade us that his way is better. 
The enemy always wants to say, my way is easier. It will satisfy your immediate need. And Jesus' hunger represents his human side, his human wants. And the enemy says, look, you're hungry. Just turn it into bread. Your human wants are more important than what God wants. Have you heard that lab before? It comes in the form of make yourself a priority. This is what you need to deal with today. Like, you deserve this. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what God wants. You have needs. You you have to feel good. You have to cope. When we yield to sin, we agree with the devil what he has falsely told us. But let me tell you something that I can say with full confidence this morning. He is always wrong. Always A hundred times out of a hundred, the devil can never make good on his promise. So when he is tempting us with something, we can a hundred percent know that no matter what it is, no matter how promising it seems, he will never be able to make good on his promise. But sin gets his power because it persuades us to believe that we will be more satisfied if we follow it, that somehow it'll be different this time. We'll be able to completely get behind, get, get our past behind us. We'll be able to completely have a, have a good day. We'll, we'll be able to do these things. But the devil always, always is lying to us, and he is always wrong. There's a pattern to every temptation. And I really believe if you can recognize this pattern, you can more easily get out of the trap. One of the things I love about God is he doesn't just hold his breath up there and go, I hope they figure it out. He is always giving us resources, helping us understand how to escape temptation, how to make sure the enemy doesn't get the best of us. We just have to listen. And so if you haven't written anything down today, just write this down. I want you to think about it this week. 1 John 2.16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the pattern is in this scripture. First, temptation always appeals to our desire. That's described as the lust of the flesh in that, that scripture. It's the things your flesh wants. It's what seems to feel good at the time. It's what our self wants. That's where the enemy starts. And then the temptation captures your attention, which is described in this scripture as the lust of the eyes. It's not necessarily always, sometimes we read this literally like it's what you see. It can be what you see. But I think it's more about how your flesh and your eyes, they grow in influence. Your attention is on it. You begin to think about it a lot and process it. It becomes a center of of even your thoughts or your conversation. And then it's like a snowball uh, going down a hill bigger and bigger all the time, you know. And all of a sudden, your flesh and your desires and your eyes, and then you start to believe, you know, the rules probably just don't apply to me in this situation. Like, this is an exception. Just one time, it's not that big of a deal. Everyone else does it. No one will find out. I'll just, just one time, and then, you know, I'll never do it again. That's called the pride of life. It sneaks in there. And before you know it, sin is living in your heart. This is the pattern every time. In future weeks of this series, we're going to talk more about getting out of the pattern. I think it's so important to know that that temptation is from the enemy. And one thing about the enemy is he's predictable. So if we can, we can predict how he's going to do things. And so we can be strategic with what we do. Jesus gives us the wisdom to do that. So we're going to keep looking at that. But number three is God never tempts us. 
God never tempts us. That's kind of uh, one point with a period. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. James 1.13 is super clear. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So that's pretty clear in the scripture. Temptation is all from the enemy. God never tempts us. Number four, temptation itself is not sin, but yielding to it is. Okay, temptation itself is not sin, but yielding to it is. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. And he says, Lord, help them be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus knew we would be, live in a sinful world. He knew there'd be opportunities would be around us all the time to enter into sin. So Jesus asked the Father not to take the Christian out of the world, but to take the world out of the Christian. Even in the middle of the most difficult situation, take the world out of the Christian so that they can know that there is temptation, but they don't have to yield to it. Remember, it's not a sin until we take possession of the temptation. Let me give you an example um, maybe you overhear two coworkers talking poorly about the boss. Okay, now listen, they're really telling the truth about how difficult it is to work in that environment. You, you have some very specific examples of how the boss did the same thing to you as, the, as your coworker is sharing. And you're listening and you're thinking, I mean, they're not wrong. I could totally jump in here and just tell my story. It would pour some gas on the fire. I mean, the boss really is the worst ever. If you're self-employed, this isn't a good example. But, but until you actually participate in the slander, okay, until your mouth opens and you tell your story, that's just temptation. So pop a Reese's cup in there and walk on by, okay? <laughs> that's what I'm saying, <laughs> It only becomes sin when you actually open your mouth and contribute in a way that brings dishonor to the person. I love this saying, a bird might fly over your head, but you don't have to let him make a nest in your hair. Opportunities and temptations to sin are going to fly past us all the time. We live in the world. It's, it's going to happen, but we don't have to let them stay. We don't have to grab onto them. All right, number five. No temptation is irresistible. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that God will provide a way out. I want to read it to you. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I love that first part of the verse. It says, uh, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. I think oftentimes, and I do this too, we convince ourselves that our situation is super unique or extra hard. We kind of give ourselves an excuse. Well, if anybody else was dealing with the amount of stress I'm dealing with, they would do this too. And we give ourselves this excuse and we get in this rut of sin. And this scripture just eliminates that excuse because God reminds us that no temptation exists that isn't common to man. The strength is available to face any and all temptations. And the scripture goes on to tell us he, he will limit our temptation, but he will also provide a way of escape. But he'll never force you to use it. He will always provide a way but he'll never force you to use it. Have you ever done something you wish you wouldn't have done and after the fact you thought to yourself, 
I should have just left the house. I should, I should have just held my tongue. I should have just turned off the computer at nine like I said I would. Anybody have that? That was your escape route. The goal is to figure that out ahead of time and use it. But kudos for recognizing that was your escape route in the moment. And so Jesus is saying, look, I am going to always give you a way out, but you got to look for it and you got to take it. God's job is to give you the way out. Your job is to look for it and take it. I love how one author describes her plan for fighting temptation. She said, when Satan comes with temptation to the door of her heart, she sends Jesus to answer the door. (laughs) And when the door opens and Satan sees Jesus, he says, oops, sorry, I think I have the wrong house. (laughs) Come on, somebody, that is good. (laughs) Send Jesus to open the door when the temptation comes. All right, here's the last one. Each time we overcome a temptation, it makes us spiritually stronger. I get that from James 1. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. The KJV translation uses the word temptations there. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. You know, the same principles that apply to our physical body and physical strength apply to spiritual strength. If you're going to start weightlifting, you start with lighter weights and then you build up, right? It builds strength. You can go from lighter weights to heavier weights. Well, that's what this is saying. We can't overcome some of the big temptations of life until we start overcoming some of the small ones. So when there's sin in our lives, little sin, and we're like, yeah, that's just no big deal. I mean, it's just no big deal. This is why it's a big deal. Because as we begin to strengthen spiritually and not let those little things in our life, we're able to be strong enough to overcome the larger temptations. You know why else it's good news is that means every temptation you overcome, you're getting stronger. And that temptation is not wasted Your victory counts, not just in the short term, but in the long term of your spiritual journey. It gets easier and easier to say no to things that tempt you. Uh, The first no is always the hardest no. But after you say no, after you strengthen yourself to know that you can resist temptation, the harder you resist, the easier and better it becomes. All right, let me close with this. Here's what we learned today. Temptation's gonna come. It's never from God, but overcoming it is always possible. He's going to give us a way out. But there's just one more thing I want you to consider before you leave today. And it comes from Revelation 2. And this passage is addressed to the church of Ephesus. And John wrote this revelation. This is what he says. He says, you have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. So he's saying, look, you've done a good job resisting temptation, church of Ephesus. But yet... I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So John's saying, listen, you've done good things. You've persevered. You've avoided temptation. You've taken the way out. Good job. You've not grown weary. You've endured hardships. But there's just one thing that I'm really concerned about, and that is that you've lost your first love. 
Good job figuring out how to live a holy life. Good job figuring out how to make all the rules and, and biting your tongue when you need to. That's all really, really good. You had your ducks in a row. You avoided temptation. But listen, if you don't do it from a place of deep love for Jesus, you have missed the point entirely. Then that's just living a good life for nothing. And he's saying out of that deep love for Jesus, Jesus beckons them back. He says, listen, don't forget your first love. Don't forget your motive for all of this. Don't forget that the reason you live holy, the reason you work the plan, and the reason you get an accountability partner, and the reason you eliminate things from your life that are stealing from you is because Jesus is worthy of a holy life. Don't forget that if you're keeping rules for rules sake, that isn't what God's asking at all. Because when we sin, we break the heart of God. That should be our motivation. I could give you all the strategies in the world how to make sure your life is all tucked in tight, look nice, but that won't count at all if it doesn't come straight out of your heart of love for a king who loves you. So here's what we're gonna do today. Would you stand? I wanna remind you we created a couple really important opportunities throughout this series. We wanted to count. We have a soul care session starting this Wednesday. You can get more information in the bulletin or at the Next Step Center. We have a prayer night planned and worship night, uh, November 19th this month. Make plans to be part of those things. Don't let this series just be another one that went by. We're after life change, right? We wanna be different. We wanna make it count. Otherwise, what are we doing? We wanna be people who trusts God so much that he can do whatever he wants. He has full permission. Like Adam said, if you need prayer, these prayer tables are open. We'd love for you to get prayer for anything at all. But I just wanna end with singing this song one more time that just reminds us of God's overwhelming love for us and to ask him to help us from that place deal with temptation and live a holy life. So would you lead us, worship team?
this week, I pray that those escape routes would be so visible to us, whether we take them or not. God, that you would show us so clearly that you are working on our behalf. Make us stronger as we face temptation. Help us conquer it, not because it will give us any kind of personal victory, but because it's out of this deep love for you. We don't want to break your heart, God. We love you. Our hearts are set on you. We want to love you more. We want to be motivated by that deep love for you. We exalt you today. We trust you. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.